Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're here for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We're brought to you today by Quip Electric Toothbrushes and now Floss, as well as the toothpaste. All sorts of good things we'll tell you about in just a moment. For right now, you just need to know that you have to go to getquip.com slash martini and you'll get your first refill free. More on that in just a little bit. Uh, all electoral politics today. We've got good, crazy, and crazy. And uh, Jim, after yesterday's Sondland testimony, a lot of hand-wringing on the right, uh, a lot of celebration in the media, certainly, and on the left. But what the 2020 presidential race is going to come down to, assuming Trump is the nominee, is uh, what's going on in the battleground states. And uh, just last month in the bellwether of Wisconsin, uh, it wasn't looking good for President Trump. It was Biden over Trump by six, Sanders over Trump by two, Warren by one, and Trump ahead of Buttigieg by just two. This is the Marquette poll. Now it's November. And things have changed for some reason. Trump is ahead of Biden now. He was down six. Now he's up three. He's up three on Sanders, up five on Warren, and up eight on Buttigieg. So, uh, Jim, some folks are wondering if impeachment is backfiring on the Democrats. Some are wondering if the events of the last couple of days uh, catch up to the polls, whether we'll see those numbers snap back. But uh, what do you make of this? Uh, why would things change so much in just a month? Sure. The change in the Marquette poll, I have a theory, and it, it ties into those Siena New York Times polls uh, asking about hypothetical matchups in these swing states. Uh, they did the big three in the upper Midwest. They also did North Carolina and Florida and Arizona. And Greg, as you'll remember, Trump was doing pretty well in most of those. He, he was, you know, um, ahead of most of them in most states. Biden was most competitive, but, you know, most of Biden's leads were not by the kind of margin. People like, OK. He's got that state in the bag. Um, now, all of a sudden, here's Marquette, which is a pretty reliable, pretty well-regarded uh, pollster, focusing almost entirely on the state of Wisconsin. And their numbers are looking, you know, Trump's ahead and all. Not a very big lead, but, you know, a, a lead nonetheless. And, you know, so there's this big discussion going on amongst pollsters about, you know, obviously we all know the, res the response rates are very low, and that's just kind of baked in the cake of Americans don't like answering their phones anymore. They have caller ID. They have only cell phones. They're just much less likely to sit with a pollster and say, yes, I think this, and no, I don't think that. Um, so they, you know, they make lots and lots of calls. This makes the process of gathering the poll a little bit more expensive. Uh, but you get it all together, and then you, you know, okay, but you're, the people who responded may not look like the electorate that you're expecting to see on election day. So you rebalance it. You adjust it a little bit. You take, you know, okay, we're going to have this many women, this many men, uh, this many whites, this many blacks, this many Latinos, this many other um, age groups. You try to get your sample to look like a reasonable approximation of who you think is going to appear uh, on election day. And nobody knows exactly what it is, but you look at historical trends and you try to figure it out. Well, pollsters are, are now getting much more open about the fact that the one demographic that is least likely to sit there and answer questions are voters with less education. So if you look at the, you know, and for some pollsters, you look at their, uh, you know, when they divide up their sample by education, they end up with like a quarter of the public having graduate degrees and another quarter of the public. And that's those way higher than what the actual people who turn up on election day are. So the argument is that pollsters are undersampling or undervaluing undereducated voters. By the way, this is not this is not me saying that these people are not smart or anything. They're just, you know, either didn't go to college, didn't finish college, didn't go on to graduate degrees, stuff like that. 
And these voters are much more likely to vote Republican and particularly much more likely to vote Trump. So once you adjust to make your sample look like the way it did on 2016, lo and behold, all these polls that showed Trump looking pretty bad have him ahead, sometimes by a little bit, sometimes by more than a little bit. Um, I think that's what's happening here in this Marquette poll, that all of a sudden they said, hey, you know what, let's adjust to make sure our sample looks like what we can expect regarding education. And lo and behold, Trump does a lot better. Does this mean Trump's going to win Wisconsin? No, but it does suggest that most of these polls that have made you say, oh, my God, Trump's head-to-head uh, -head numbers against Biden look terrible. Eh, maybe not. Maybe a lot of those were kind of, you know, whistling past the graveyard for Democrats and making some, you know, not all that likely to be accurate assumptions about who's going to show up on Election Day 2020. Oh, by the way, I think in an environment where the mainstream media uh, I mean, going back to basket of deplorables has basically argued that being a Trump supporter is a synonym for racism. It's a synonym for xenophobia. It's a, zen it's a low class and coarse and, and, you know, hateful and sexist and, and all that kind of stuff. It's not surprising that these people would not eager. Hi, I'm a stranger. I'd like to ask you about your political views to be recorded. What could go wrong? Well, these people are going to say, hey, get lost. I'm not going to share my views with you. So this all kind of makes sense to say, look, does this mean Trump's going to win? I think it's no. Yeah, this would be the, the alternate version of whistling past the graveyard. But I think most people Republicans say, OK, we got a better shot at this than most Democrats think. And Democrats should look at this and it should freak them out. Um, and you mentioned the impeachment hearings. Greg, I just make a note. Um, 538 is tracking all the polls. You know, do you support impeaching and removing Trump or do you not? Uh, the bad news for the president is that supporting removal is at 46.6% in their average of all the polls. That's bad. That is, in fact, higher than don't support impeachment and removal at 45.5. That's a point higher. But um, in late October, that difference was 4.6 points. So these last few weeks of hearings have actually moved the ball in the wrong direction for the Democratic Party who want to remove Trump. Yeah. And uh, in the Marquette poll, only 40 percent, only 40 percent uh, think Trump should be impeached and removed. Fifty three percent do not. Six, of course, don't know. Jim, my theory here is that it's kind of baked into the cake at this point. Uh, everybody's got their opinion on Trump. Those who hate Trump hate him. They want him gone. They don't care. Most of them, if it's through impeachment or at the ballot box, just whatever I need to do. Tell me where to go. I'll vote for whoever the Democrat is. And you've got uh, a lot of folks, of course, who are diehard Trump supporters. They'll be with the president uh, no matter what happens. And then you've got uh, uh, some people who voted for the president who don't necessarily like the tactics. They're weary of the, the situation. But when they think something unfair is happening, and that's certainly in the eye of the beholder, uh, then they come back. Think about Kavanaugh last year when they thought the Democrats were railroading Brett Kavanaugh with all these ridiculous allegations. The, the Republicans came alive, and uh, probably uh, that fight was a big reason why they, they got a bigger majority in, in the Senate in a couple of those states. So the Democrats are baked in the cake. The Republicans are mostly baked in the cake. And then there's a few who lean towards Trump, but uh, they need to be motivated, and something like this motivates them. That's, that's my theory. Yeah, and let me just throw out there, Greg, can we think of any reason why people in Wisconsin might be wary about angry leftist Democrats attempting to <laughs> prematurely end the term of an elected Republican. I'm thinking, of course, of the recall election against Scott Walker, which he won by a much wider margin than he originally won the governorship, because there were a chunk of voters out there whose attitude was like, look, I didn't vote for the guy, but let him finish. You know, we have election day. We have a term. Uh, this is a, you know, the equivalent of a tantrum of not allowing the, the guy to, you know, to, you know, do the job he was elected to do. We're going to have our say under the normal four-year terms. 
Um, I, I don't know if every, you know, uh, Democrat in Wisconsin thinks this way or, or every centrist or independent, but it, it seems like a reasonable theory that voters like having their say and they're not all that eager to see somebody else come along and say, no, 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 we've decided to overrule this decision you made at the ballot box. Yeah, good point. Wisconsin is anti-recall, at least unless there's a really good reason. And uh, Scott Walker is a good example of that. But uh, all right. Well, Republicans probably have a better taste in their mouth as a result of these numbers, but it's a long way before the votes actually count. And uh, if you want a better taste in your mouth and healthier teeth and gums, Quip is the way to go. You know Quip. We've talked about them for years. They make the Quip electric toothbrush. And now they're in the floss business, and they just want you to know that building good dental habits uh, is the way to go here. So it's not just about making it easy and convenient to brush by having their uh, brushes' batteries last seemingly forever, having the refill brushes come on a a regular schedule, uh, having the pulses to guide you along. It's just fantastic. Building those habits are what matter the most when it comes to your oral health. That means brushing for two minutes twice a day, flossing regularly, and no matter what brand you use, Quip makes that simple, starting with an electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and anti-cavity toothpaste. Quip's electric brush has sensitive sonic vibrations with a built-in timer and 30-second pulses to guide a full and even clean. The Quip floss dispenser comes with pre-marked string to help you use just enough, never too much, never too little. Plus, Quip delivers fresh new brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills to your door every three months with free shipping, so your routine will always be just right. Join over 3 million healthy mouths and get Quip today, starting at just $25. Jim uses Quip. My wife uses Quip. Now we have the kids' Quips, which I've talked about a few times. And I'll tell you, having the kids' Quip is uh, a great way to make sure that their oral health is uh, definitely where it needs to be as well. Because we started with the regular toothbrushes. And at bedtime, you're like, hey, did you brush your teeth? No, not yet. Don't have that problem anymore. They love to do it. They love the pulses. They they love making sure that they keep it going the whole time till the till the buzzing ends, and it's just a, a great, fun way to make sure that they're developing those oral habits as well. And if you go to getquip.com slash martini right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash martini, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash martini. Quip, the good habits company. All right, Jim, yesterday was the November edition of the riveting Democratic presidential debates. Man, that was so exciting last night that I literally fell asleep shortly after the first hour. And it doesn't sound like I missed a whole lot. But uh, one of the things we're going to talk about here, and there's uh, many different areas where we could go. Uh, It's interesting that the moderators uh, didn't have much interest in talking to Tulsi Gabbard, Andrew Yang, or Tom Steyer. Steyer, I can kind of imagine. But uh, Yang and Gabbard kind of uh, invigorate the thing. Uh, They made sure that Gabbard and Kamala Harris got another chance to go at it. And then Gabbard and uh, Mayor Pete got into it a little bit towards the end. What we're going to focus mostly on here, though, is Joe Biden. Joe Biden, we've talked about this ever since he got in the race. Whenever he speaks in public, and especially in these debates, it just doesn't seem to go well. The brain-mouth connection doesn't seem to be working. And, Jim, I'm not going to try and diagnose anything here. But uh, it just keeps happening. Here's a couple of examples of where things came out a bit mangled on Wednesday night. This is Biden answering the question of how would you work better with Republicans? Uh, And he didn't actually answer that. He said the answer is to elect more Democrats. But uh, this is how it came out. Well, look, the next president of the United States can have to do do two things. Defeat Donald Trump. That's number one. 
And number two, it's going to have to make be, be able to go into states like Georgia and North Carolina and other places and get a Senate majority. Then he was talking about combating domestic violence and changing the culture. And this is the word choice he used. And so we have to just change the culture, period, and keep punching at it and punching at it and punching at it. It will be a big. No, I really mean it. It, it it, It's a gigantic issue. I don't know if it's the fact that he talked about punching when it came to domestic violence or the fact that he didn't even understand why people were laughing there. And then uh, here's his explanation of why he's doing so well with the black voters. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm part of that that Obama coalition. I come out of the black community in terms of my support. If you notice, I have more people supporting me in the black community that have announced for me because they know me. They know who I am. Three former chairs of the black caucus. The only African-American woman that ever been elected to the United States Senate. A whole range of people. No, my point no, is not true. true. The other that's one is true. here. So then he tried to say that he said, I said it was the first African-American woman ever elected to the Senate. Obviously, he did not. So uh, Jim doesn't seem to be hurting him in, uh, in South Carolina, doesn't seem to be hurting him in a lot of the national polls where he's kind of bounced back here after Warren had a, a pretty good run. So um, is this going to hurt him long term or not? It, it's not. Um, but I do think it's kind of interesting because the, it feels like the last couple of debates uh, for being the front runner. Joe Biden kind of has faded into the background, if that makes sense, that, you know, there, there was this surge by Warren. And as a result, everybody kind of turned their focus on her. Uh, a lot of people had expected, well, Boudet Edge is now leading in Iowa. Maybe tonight's going to be his turn in the barrel and everybody's going to, you know, try taking shots at him. And that really didn't happen. I actually thought one of the many reasons last night's debate was uh, really, you know, dreadfully dull. You did not miss anything turning in early, Greg, um, is that there wasn't a lot of... Uh, there was no sense of urgency, right? You know, this is November. We got one more in December, which, by the way, is six days before Christmas, because, you know, so obviously people will be really tuned in on that one. Um, then one in January, and then they start voting in Iowa February 1st. So if you're in these debates, these are your opportunities. Uh, Cory Booker is not guaranteed to be in the next one. Julian Castro was not in this one. Um, I'm not sure if Klobuchar is locked in for these next couple ones. So, like this, this is your opportunity. If you're if you're going to make a splash, this is it. You go big or go home. And the tone really seemed to be almost everybody being, eh, I'm comfortable with where I am. If I'm going to, you know, nobody wanted to to take any swings. This was, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust style uh, political political campaigning for these folks. I, I'm not sure that's going to work for them. So by that standard, it was a good night for Joe Biden. What was not good is that, you know, yes, sometimes his words come out as word salad and he begins a sentence with one idea and halfway through he changes and goes in a different direction. And, you know, he, he's had some bad debate reports. But if you, what, what had made a Joe Biden gaffe different from so many other gaffes is that he tends to do them in ways that are like memorably, often very funny, often very awkward and the you know, first one, like, you know, the only, okay, so he said the only African American woman elected to the Senate instead of the first. Okay, we've all made those kind of brain parts and, you know, uh, you know, momentary lapses. Fine, it's not an issue. The great irony is that she's standing right next to him. <laughs> right? Like, you know, he's, he's totally uh, the only one, and it's on a surprise where you're just like, mm, no, no, that's not, you know, you're, you're forgetting somebody. You know, lest anyone take me out of context. There's nothing funny about domestic violence. There's nothing funny about people. Hitting. But for your chosen metaphor to combating domestic violence to be keep punching, keep punching. <laughs> Sorry, Greg, that belongs right up there with stand up, Chuck, when uh, uh, Biden was addressing a gentleman in a wheelchair who was paralyzed. Um, 
you know, like sometimes these gaffes are, are, you know, what makes Joe Biden America's crazy uncle. There's kind of this goofy, uh, you know, keep the remote away from from grandpa's clicker. He's going to hit input and screw up the whole thing um, kind of mentality to Biden. But then there's the thing where you kind of wonder, you know, he, he you know, this this is not going to be another great communicator in the White House uh, if Biden does happen to win. Again, it's so far none of these have done any damage to him. And this is one of those things where I kind of roll my eyes when I hear somebody saying, well, look, these are the gaffes that are going to cause people to jump off the Joe Biden bandwagon. I think it's in a very similar situation to the Bernie Sanders supporters. If you're on Joe Biden's bandwagon right now, you had a lot of opportunities to say, okay, I'm worried. I'm worried about the fundraising numbers. Previous debates weren't great. He looks like he's lost a step. But you're, if you're still with him now, you probably feel pretty good about it. You, it's going to take more than one or two gaffes to shake you off those folks. But uh, nonetheless, though, in a night that did not have a lot of memorable exchanges, uh, maybe we could throw in Cory Booker um, uh, when he said that, uh, you know, he noted that Biden had said he does not necessarily support uh, decriminalizing and legalizing marijuana. And he's still worried that it could be a gateway drug. And Booker said, when you said that, I thought you were smoking something. <laughs> Uh, but then, of course, Biden just says, oh, no, I support decriminalization. Never mind that he said something different a week ago. That's one of the reasons why it's kind of tough to get somebody's, you know, bad position to stick to him, because Biden either changes it or maybe he doesn't remember having that position a week ago. It's interesting how the uh, the moderators gave a lot more questions to Cory Booker, who was at the very end, than the three people I mentioned that didn't get a lot of questions. Uh, with Joe Biden, Jim, um, I don't know if you're at this point. I kind of am. When he gets a question, are you actually listening to see what his answer is or whether he mangles different parts of the answer? Because that's kind of where I'm at this point. But we should cut him some slack because um, Hunter is not exactly helping him in a number of <laughs> different ways. Uh, obviously, you know, no, Greg, we forgot. I'm sorry. Uh, congratulations, Joe Biden. He's a grandfather again. Not you know, he, he found. Let's say he's a found out. He's a grandfather again. Yesterday, with some news about Hunter Biden. Joe, Jay Nordlinger had observed that when Joe Biden speaks, you figure all of his all of his fans just kind of tense up. Just uh, okay, he got through it. All right, okay, all right. No, no, no. Oh, he's, he's speaking again. Uh, you know, it's it's exciting. It's drama, um, and it's one of the few bits of drama you get because everybody else is re- rehearsing, using the same old rehearsed talking points that they have in all these previous debates. Greg, this is our fifth debate. They've done it over seven nights. I don't know about you. I'm ready for the kiddie table contenders to go. <laughs> I mean, not that it's necessarily affecting him in the Democratic primary, but what else could Hunter do at this point to make his dad's life more frustrating? I mean, he's got the Burisma connection. There's the uh, carrying on with his brother's widow, which is obviously distasteful. Uh, child out of wedlock, which those of you who don't know where this latest grandchild came from, that's the story that came out yesterday. He had denied paternity. Now it's confirmed through DNA. And while all this was happening, he married someone else. So, uh, I mean. Discharged from the Navy, drug issue. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's, it's the perfect storm. But at least uh, Biden can say, well, at least I'm not Queen Elizabeth right now. Because <laughs> Prince Andrew has uh, has uh, stepped down from his official duties, Jim. I'm not sure what the guy who's seventh in line to the throne has for official duties, but uh, somehow I'm guessing the crown will carry on. I thought the official duty for a member of the monarchy was existing. <laughs> the one great irony is, I, again, I don't know if Joe Biden is deft enough to to offer this jujitsu defense. But if at some point somebody really comes after him, Hunter Biden goes after all these issues we listed here, he could say, you know what, my my son had an addiction addiction problem and he's still trying to deal with that addiction problem. Addicts deal with these issues for their entire lives. There's really very few moments where you say, presto change, I am a cured person. Addiction makes you do stupid things. My son did plenty of stupid things and he's caused a lot of grief and pain and problems in his life and grief and pain and problems in this family. 
I still love him and I'm always going to stand by him because he's my son. And I think most people kind of nod. There are probably a lot of families in this country who have had someone who's dealt with addiction and struggled and stumbled badly along the way. Um, I don't know if Biden will, will be deft enough to kind of offer that, but, you know, we're a pretty forgiving country. Um, now, here's the thing, because again, like I said, every family's had somebody who struggles with um, addiction, Greg. Do you know what a lot of families haven't had, though? Uh, you know, like five-figure-a-month gigs on <laughs> Ukrainian natural gas companies. This is at the ultimate core of a lot of scandals in, in American politics. Can people relate to it? Yeah. A lot of people have marital problems. A lot of, pe- a lot of people have addiction. No people have alcoholism, stuff like that. Look, we're human beings. We're going to make mistakes. People can be very forgiving if you genuinely ask for contrition and it looks like you're trying to change your ways and mend your fences. The, the financial corruption stuff where you're just getting giant opportunities handed to you because of what your last name is. Yeah, most, most Americans don't. All right, let's move on to our final crazy martini now, Jim. And yesterday, as we mentioned, there were uh, 10 candidates on stage. Some of the ones we've seen before have dropped out. You tweeted last night that you hadn't seen a question for Beto O'Rourke yet. And then you said, oh, that's right. And uh, But others have just gotten in. So they haven't qualified for the debates yet. Mike Bloomberg, uh, Deval Patrick. Deval Patrick famously saying in the last couple of days, I'm going to earn my way onto that stage. And Jim, it's going to be a journey because uh, last night uh, the debate was in Atlanta. Deval Patrick was also in Atlanta with a side event at Morehouse College. That didn't end up happening. Annie Grayer of CNN tweets out yesterday, Governor Deval Patrick was supposed to have an event at Morehouse College tonight. An organizer with the college who planned the event told CNN that Patrick canceled the event when he arrived and learned that he would not have an audience. And then in parenthesis, note, two people came, not pictured. So, uh, Jim, it's a long way from... uh, two people showing up for your event to uh, becoming the nominee when the vote starts in just a little over two months. Yeah. And like, it's not like there was a snowstorm or anything. Where you <laughs> right. say, oh, there were more people who wanted to come. I mean, the first thing is, is that if you plan your event that is either at the same time or around the same time as a democratic debate, um, you, you might be in trouble. Cause let's, you know, if you're a really, if you're a, a, a you know, registered Democrat, likely primary voter, you're really following the race. Are you going to go see this guy, Deval Patrick, who entered the race a week ago and everybody says join too late? Or are you going to actually watch the debate? Now, I'm sure a lot of people out there are like, Jim, that sounds like a really lose-lose scenario. <laughs> um, but no, like that's, this, this struck me as a sign of both God and the, the student body of this university saying to Deval Patrick, the Democratic presidential primary field is filled. You can go home. We don't need you. But to do the debate after a huge day of impeachment hearings, and then the day before, there were huge stuff in the impeachment here. Like at some point, the news cycle gets full. We've had a lot of big political news. You and I kind of joke about how on every day there's never a shortage of topics. You know, maybe we may be looking hard for a good martini, but there's always something going on. The president's always tweeting something. There's always three or four controversies going on. Like, Greg, do you remember when Baghdadi got killed? It seems like about a month or two ago. It's probably a couple of weeks, right? I checked the calendar. It was eight years ago. I'm kidding. But, you know, like, oh, there, there's so many things that happen that, that things do not stay in the, the kind of the mindset of the electorate. They kind of bloop and they come and, you know, Rush Limbaugh used to use the term the drive-by media where, the, you know, you'd write, a, you'd write a scandal story. Some of the facts are wrong. The correction runs on page 824 and everybody kind of moves on to the next story. We are in a really fast news cycle. Where, yeah, for about a day, Deval Patrick announced he was getting in. There's a little bit of discussion about him. And I bet you a whole bunch of people forgot about him. Tim Ryan endorsed Joe Biden. I didn't notice this. 
<laughs> you know, usually when a candidate who dropped out endorses one of the other candidates, that, that that's a that's a big deal. It didn't break through with this ongoing impeachment and all. You know, there's actually huge violence going on in Mexico and in Iraq. We have not resolved this issue with Iran, and they're firing the missiles at Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, overseas, just just constantly boom, 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 constant breaking news, and that's before you get into the social media. You won't believe what this customer wrote on this waitress's receipt. You know, manufactured social media outrage news all the time, um, and, and I think it's just become a situation where like you, know, you just can't permeate these sorts of things. And you know, I, I've to, to beat the drama on something I've lamented for a long time. Yes, a lot of politicians are narcissists. Politicians walk around with no idea about how how unknown they are, and how much people don't really care who they are unless <laughs> there's something really you know unusual or dramatic or outstanding with them. There is no yearning out there for Deval Patrick to run for president, and he just got a very rude reminder of that last night. And I feel kind of bad for the guy, but uh, that's life, Deval Patrick. And I don't know if you have enough time or ability or inherent charisma to totally change all that. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a hard lesson, but perhaps one he needed to learn. We'll have more craziness tomorrow, I'm sure. Maybe the whole thing will be crazy. Who knows? Jim, see you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. So glad that you stopped by to the Three Martini Lunch today. Don't forget about Quip. Getquip.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a nice review if you're so inclined. Thank you very much in advance for that. And be back on the stool with us on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch.